About a year after two of my friends had their first child, I flew out to visit them for a weekend. They shared, well, first, how tired they were, but also all of the joys of parenthood that they had experienced. Witnessing their daughter's first smile, her first laugh, her first steps, her first words. Their eyes and their smiles got bigger and bigger with each story they told as both stood in awe of the profound joy she had brought into their lives. My friend's wife also shared that there was nothing that could have prepared her for the pain of childbirth. Fuse, she said, it felt like someone had broken every single bone in my body. But, she continued, the pain, as soon as the nurse put her in my arms, it all went away. I suspect there is nothing that could have prepared her for that moment either. Since the beginning of summer, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, hearing the stories of how Mark and his community remembered the anointed one who changed their world, this Messiah who changed our world by setting an example of how we are to love, how we are to heal, and how we are to forgive. And today, our journey with that ancient community ends, and perhaps not on the cheeriest of notes, but I think we end this morning on the brink of joy. So here's the scene for this morning. A few days before the Passion, these country bumpkins arrive in the big city of Jerusalem, so amazed by the stacked stones of the temple soaring into the skies, marveling at this beautiful edifice which represents the presence of God on earth, adoring this sacred space where countless petitions were mumbled, innumerable prayers of thanksgiving were sung, and so many sacrifices were humbly offered as an atonement for our offenses against God and each other. But Christ, bearing the weight of divine omniscience on his feeble human frame, responds, this temple, it won't be like this forever. Then perhaps to get a different view of the city, or maybe just to clear his head before the passion ensues, Jesus heads to the Mount of Olives. The sons of thunder, along with Peter and Andrew, are rather curious as to what in the world that comment was supposed to mean. So they follow him and ask him, what will the signs be that this is about to happen? They ask this, looking out on the earthly temple, the dwelling place of those ten words, forgetting that they were standing next to the living temple, the word incarnate. This is how it will happen, Christ says, 
Kingdom will rise against kingdom. A poor man with no army will be presented before Caesar's governor, and they will accuse him of claiming to be the king of the Jews. The governor will find no case against him, yet the people will demand for this insurrectionist to be crucified. He will be scourged, crowned with thorns, nailed to a tree, and pierced in the side. Pain you and I could probably never imagine. All for the most ludicrous of charges. There will be earthquakes. As Christ cries out with a loud voice, yielding up his spirit, whilst the earth shakes and the rocks split. There will be famines as the bread of life leaves the earth, descending to the dead. And this is but the beginning of birth pangs, as the prince of death is confronted and defeated by the Lord of life. But this is but the beginning because birth pangs beget new life. This is our Paschal story, the cycle of unbearable pain followed by unimaginable joy. It's the story of a God who is actually listening the whole time as a woman prayed ceaselessly for a child, as she consecrated the floor of that house of God with her tears. Her soul was dead, her womb was closed, but then she heard those three words, those three words which we so often end our liturgy with. Go in peace. Go in peace, she was told, and she bore a son. For her, it was a foretaste of that kingdom, that new Jerusalem, where God will wipe away the tear from every eye and make all things new. Undoubtedly, after those birth pangs, her soul was made new by witnessing her son's first smile, his first laugh, his first steps, his first words. Soon she would return back to that house of God, this time not to cry, but to boldly proclaim with joy, my heart exults in the Lord. I suspect that there was nothing that could have ever prepared her for that moment either. So there Christ stood with some of the apostles on the top of the mount, telling them that this is just the beginning of birth pangs. For Christ, it would be the pain of the passion, but for his disciples and for us, Christ was clear in this apocalyptic text. We would have pain too. But in Christ's final moments, with his disciples before the passion ensued, what he wanted us to know was this, that for God there is no such thing as gratuitous pain. For in those moments, God can enter into the depths of human sin and through the Paschal mystery, make that pain a birth pain. Something beautiful, something new. 
God lets us exercise our free will as human beings, and the result is that it's all too easy to feel that God has abandoned us at times. No, Christ says. What will be on display in, over the next few days is the sinfulness of humanity par excellence, a feeling of isolation like you can't imagine as his friends deny him, as he looks down from that tree and most of his disciples are nowhere to be found, as he looks up from that tree, wondering where his father is and cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Pain. But a specific type of pain. Birth pain. Pain that begets new life. Perhaps John said it best. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. In Christ, all pain is birth pain. That's the final message of Mark and his community to us this year, that lo, all things are being made new.